Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Nat Chang Rinpoche, Chapter 18. The major hope of my life is that I might be remembered as having even half the kindness, generosity and thoughtfulness which characterised my mother. Chapter 18. What sort of king are you anyway? You know the meaning of Gyalpo? Rinpoche asked. Yes, Rinpoche, it means king or a class of demon. Oh, yeah. And in England, you have Queen Elizabeth II, Rinpoche laughed. I am not laughing at your queen. I laugh because Tibetans thought Queen Victoria was Palden Lamo. Did you know this? Yes, Rinpoche. Rinpoche smiled quizzically. How do you come to know this? I am thinking this is something that few Western people know. Well, Rinpoche, before I came here, I read a lot of books about old Tibet, travelogues and so forth. I made a point of reading any book I could find on Tibet, and this idea about Queen Victoria was in one of those old books. Do you believe this? If I had to say either yes or no, I'd say no. Yeah, good. I don't believe it either. There are many superstitions like this. Only a Tomyor would believe such a thing. How can Queen Victoria ride a horse naked, sitting on the flayed side, flayed hide of her only son? How can she carry sacks of diseases and play with loaded dice? Paldin Lamo is a protector, she is not a human being, and even if Queen Victoria is her emanation, she must have qualities of this protectress. I think she was a good queen whose husband had great respect for her. At this point I asked Rimshe if he would like to hear a story about Queen Elizabeth II. He nodded his approval. The Queen sometimes goes out into the world incognito. One day she happened to be sitting in a Scottish tea room and a lady approached her saying, I hope you don't mind me mentioning it, but you do look frightfully like the Queen. The Queen smiled and replied, How very reassuring. Rinpoche laughed. Yeah, good answer. I like this queen too much. You know any story about Queen Victoria? No, Rinpoche, but I know one about <coughs> Queen Elizabeth I. <coughs> Rinpoche motioned for me to tell my story, and so I began. There was once a knight called Sir Aubrey who was at the court of Queen Elizabeth. Sir Aubrey, when he presented himself to Queen Elizabeth, happened to fart as he made to go down on one knee before her. He was mortified by the grossness of his inadvertent flatulence and banished himself for seven years from her court. On his return, Queen Elizabeth welcomed him. We have missed you, Sir Aubrey. And... We have forgotten the fart. Rinpoche roared with laughter. Yeah, 
She also, good queen, too funny. It is good that you can tell stories. So, anyhow, now I have something to say about Paltrow. Paltrow was teaching in Zamtung. The people there appreciated what he said to them and gave him offerings. He redirected these gifts, as was his wont, apart from one object. This was to become an unusual catalyst for change. Of the gifts, he gave goods to the poor people and financial donations to those engaged in religious craft work. The one gift he, get, he kept was given him by an old man. It was a special gift, a silver ornament made in the exact shape and size of a horse's hoof. What a thing, Paltrell exclaimed. What a thing. Paltrell realised this was an important moment for the old man and confided quietly, this will accomplish much more than you imagine. True to his word, Paltrell took the hoof with him when he left Zamtung, even though its weight was not a welcome addition to his bag. The old man was overjoyed that Paltrell had accepted his gift and as a result applied himself to practice with enormous dedication. It was said later that he became an accomplished practitioner as a result of the inspiration of Paltrell accepting his offering. Things being as they are, there was a thief in the audience by the name of Gyalpo. Now, Gyalpo means king, and this impoverished monarch noticed the silver horse's hoof. As soon as he clapped eyes on it, his mind started buzzing with ideas. He thought of a wealthy Golok chieftain to whom such a thing might be desirable. What he would pay for such a thing. Gyalpo was as surprised as were some of the monks present when Paltrell hoofed it with the silver hoof. They'd expected him to give it away along with all the other gifts. It was then that Gyalpo decided to relieve Paltrell of its weight in some desolate place a few days' walk out of Zamtung. Once Paltrell had concluded his dealing in Zamtung, he took off into the hills and it was a few days before Gyalpo found him. Paltrell was asleep when the would-be robber crept up on him, but he was not unaware of Gyalpo or his intention. The thief stealthily investigated Paltrell's bundle in search of the silver hoof but nothing was to be found. Paltrell, recognising that the pilferer was frustrated, said, It's back at the last place you watched me light a fire. I'd have thought you would have found it there. It was easy enough to see. Then he sat up. He looked carefully at Gyalpo, asking in disbelief, What sort of king are you anyway? I guess you must be a king, though. You're too damn timid to be a demon. You will have to do a bit better than this if you want to make a living out of larceny. Galpo jumped back, surprised. He was perplexed by Paltrell, but demanded, Cut the guff, Joker. Where have you hidden that damn horse hoof? I saw the old man give it to you. 
I want it, and I want it now. Paltrell laughed. Dear me, you poor fellow, what a miserable mess your life is. The robber was annoyed and slightly bewildered by Paltrell's attitude, but also a little curious. What do you mean by that, you jerk-off, he shouted. These hillbillies may think you're a goddamn big shot, but you're not a real llama. You're just a ragged old fart who can shoot his mouth off. That's as may be, my lad, Paltrell smiled. But the fact remains that the silver's there waiting for you, back where I last camped. It's got no value for me, so you are welcome to it. But come now, why run around like a lunatic chasing dreams of wealth that won't last? That old Gollock horse lord won't give you the price you want, and you will be short-changed from here to Amdo as like as not. It won't be a month before it's all gone, and then where will you be? What's the use in that? Think about it. Have you ever made out with this kind of deal before? Galpo, all the while Paltrell was speaking, was scurrying around in a frenzy, hunting in every crevice. Where could that crafty old con artist have hidden that silver hoof? It was only when he had exhausted every option, along with himself, that he sat down and began to weep. I've never had anything. I'll never have anything. I'll never amount to anything. I'm not even a goddamn successful criminal. Paltrell shook his head sadly and put his hand on the man's shoulder. Yeah, yeah, that's the way of it, my friend. But never mind, there are other ways of occupying your life. Gialpo looked wretched. Come now, Paltrell added. Just take a walk back there down the valley and you will find what you're looking for. Gialpo looked confused. Come on now, Paltrell repeated. If you leave now, you will get there by dawn. I left that useless lump of silver in the ashes of the fire. Galpo looked up at him with a mixture of hope, despair and vague remorse. Really? he inquired. Really? replied Paltrell. If that is what you want. But is that what you want? The thief nodded. This isn't a trick. Paltrell laughed. What's there to trick? The thief took the situation in for a moment and said that he would ascertain the veracity of Paltrell's story and that if the silver wasn't there, he'd come looking for him. Well, my friend, you may do that anyways. You know how it is. Although, before you go, there's something I'd like to tell you. Galpo looked at his unusual prospective benefactor cautiously. Tell away, then. Paltrell fixed his eyes and stated in slow, even tones. Well, king or demon, or whatever you are, this hoof may well be exactly what you think you want. But I'm damn sure it's not what you need. One day you'll realise that you need the teachings more than you want this silver horse's hoof. But in the meantime, Paltrell yawned, go get what you think 
you want. Yalpo left and went to find Paltrow's last campfire. Yalpo walked through the night and in the morning he found the place Paltrow described. There was the campfire and sure enough, there in the ashes he found the ingot. Yalpo leapt in the air for joy. Yes, 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 he shouted when he laid his hands on it. He sat down and gazed at it lovingly. He rubbed off the ash and shone up the silver on his ragged sleeve. He watched the metal begin to glitter as he rubbed away the ash. It really was a large piece of silver. He was in no doubt about that. He began to think about the deal with the Golok chief and the rich reward he'd get. But then the words of Paltrow came back to him. That old Golok horse lord won't give you the price you want and you'll be short-changed from here to Amdo as like as not. It won't be a month before it's all gone and then where will you be? This was an unpleasant thought. He'd been down that road before. How could he be sure that old Golok horsemen wouldn't swindle him? How could he be sure that those Golloks wouldn't just waylay him on the road and take their lord's money back? This wasn't going to be as easy as he thought. Then he started thinking about Paltrow. That old llama really had jettisoned the silver. Then he thought of the abusive language he'd thrown at Paltrow. These hillbillies may think you're a goddamn big shot, but you're not a real llama. You're just a ragged old fart who can shoot his mouth off. Paltrow was evidently the real thing. Gyalpo began to feel very sad and confused. The pattern of his life started moving through his mind and there wasn't much to it that looked like anything. Then, in the next moment, he broke down and wept. Worse and worse, he cried. This Paltrow really is a great being, and I'm just a loathsome, mouldering turd. What use is this goddamn horse's hoof anyway? The knowledge that the hoof could make him rich for a while, but that he'd only become poor again, seemed somehow too poignant. His life seemed futile and irrelevant. Better for me that I try to be like Tsar Paltrow. He doesn't seem to need anything to be happy. Galpo left. He grabbed the silver hoof and walked without rest till he'd caught up with Paltrow. The march left his feet raw and blistered, but he felt compelled to find the old Nakpa. The silver hoof had started to feel like a massive weight but something in him had determined that he was going to take it back. Paltrow had some sense of Gyalpo's approach and sat down to await his arrival. When he arrived, Paltrow exclaimed, Hey, how the hell are you, King Demon? What pushes you on at such a lick? You must have walked your feet off to catch up with me again. Then, in a soft voice, he added, You know, you will drive yourself insane with this senseless galloping. Didn't you find that hoof? Galpo was gasping with the effort of this sleepless trek, but managed to blurt out, 
Yeah, I found it and I've brought it back to you. It's a bloody nuisance. I just needed to tell you that I don't want it anymore. Poutrell smiled at him. What do you want then, King Demon? With those words, Galpo threw the ingot into the river. I want you to teach me what I have to do to be like you. The two men laughed heartily together as the hoof bounced down the hill toward the torrent below. Now you are a free man for the first time in your life, King Demon. Paltrow was happy to give Gyalpo the teachings he requested and sent him off to practice them. Gyalpo, after being beaten up a couple of times by victims of previous thefts, went on to be a great practitioner. When Paltrow heard that Gyalpo was being beaten up by people who caught up with him, he promptly issued a severe warning to all who respected him. If you harm my disciple, you harm me. He was once a thief, but now he's a yogi. I want you to leave him be. Rinpoche smiled when he concluded the story and we sat in silence for a while. There was no sense in which he was impatient to hear my comments but I had an idea and decided I may as well lay it out. So, I ventured, Paltrell knows all along that things are going to go this way. I mean, he seems to know right from the outset, as soon as he is given the silver horse's hoof. Is that right? Rinpoche made the familiar, yes, no, doesn't matter, rocking motion with his head. So why doesn't Paltrow simply give the hoof to the thief immediately? Why? Now that was a question. That would have upset the old man and maybe he wouldn't have been inspired to have practised with such devotion. Rinpoche snorted his opinion of this in disgust. If the old man had devotion, he had devotion. What Paltrow does with his offering is of no matter. If he had devotion, what does it matter if Paltrow throws the hoof into the rubbish? I eyed a recent gift I had given Rimshay sheepishly, which made him laugh loudly and somewhat severely. Now you think the bad Kunzangdorje throws your tuba away? Things were looking tricky again. A slight sense of panic, but this time I just ploughed ahead. That's fine, Rinpoche. My devotion's the same whether you throw it away or keep it to wear. Rinpoche arched his eyebrows in a comical manner. Possibly bad material. Maybe nothing is lost if it is thrown out. I realised I was being teased and that I'd have to stand my ground or risk his displeasure even though that was becoming less easy to instigate. It's not worth a silver horse's hoof, Rinpoche, I stated as crisply, firmly, yet respectfully as I could. But it did cost me my camera. He laughed and his face relaxed completely. Oh, yeah, I know this well. So now you know that you are not like the thief. That was an unusual leap in thinking. So now I knew that I was not like the thief. What did that mean? 
I'd moved from one tricky position to another. I thought of saying, damn right, Rinpochet, I have no intention of stealing your tuba, but thought better of it. This was not a time to attempt humour. We sat for a few minutes in silence, in which Rinpoche kept his eyebrows unremittingly raised, and then it occurred to me why I was not like the thief. I don't think anything is going to change my life apart from what I do to make it change. Rinpoche nodded and reached behind him for a bottle of Indian Eagle beer. And, he asked, and, I replied immediately, but not knowing what I was going to say, I'm not desperate. I don't indulge in too much self-pity. And I don't back down if I believe in what I've said or done. Rinpoche poured out the beer. You have self-respect, but not too much. Stay as you are. Do not respect yourself too much or too little. You know how to stay with your word. Without that, there is no practice. We sipped our beer for a while and then he continued the questioning. What would Paltrell have lost if he had given the thief the hoof? Feeling somehow reassured by our previous exchange, I allowed myself some space to reflect on the story. Paltrell would have lost the opportunity to give Gyalpo a teaching in a way that would actually affect a change in him. Rinpoche nodded. This exchange was going smoothly, so I asked, what else is there in this story that I am missing? It seems quite simple. Rinpoche looked at me quizzically. What is simple? Then I had to set about explaining. It seems to be a question of allowing the thief to experience himself and his conditioning as much as possible. He had to develop a decent degree of lust for the hoof. He then had to conceptualise vividly about the future and evolve a whole plan about how he'd steal the hoof and how he'd sell it. Then he had to track Poutrell down and attempt to burglarise the hoof whilst Poutrell is sleeping. There'd be a lot of anticipation, tension and anxiety there. Rinpoche nodded. Yeah, and? And so Poutrell tells him he left the hoof in the ashes of the fire he left the previous day. Yeah, and so? Well, that must have shocked Galpo. But his lust was up and this display of clairvoyance or foreknowledge doesn't throw him. Then Gyalpo proceeds to abuse Paltrell, but Paltrell keeps his calm under fire. Rinpoche laughed uproariously by, at this point in my summary. Like you are with this bad-mouthed Kunzangdorje. Now you are fearless like Paltrell. Ideas suddenly occurred to me, but I wanted to laugh at this joke Rinpoche had made, at the same time as expressing what I'd suddenly understood. It was an experience almost like choking. I also wanted to grasp the moment in terms of what had just become clear to me, so I just laughed as I spoke. Everything Paltrell does is causing Gyalpo to see his life as a mess. Gyalpo's stealth doesn't work. 
his bravado doesn't work. His threats don't work. Nothing works. Rinpoche nodded. Yeah, and? Paltrel's like a mirror. Gyalpo has little choice but to confront the uselessness of his life. Rinpoche nodded. But still he has to get the silver hoof. Yes, still that hoof. So why does he still want the hoof? I asked. Rinpoche gave me a faint smile. Look at your own life. You don't have to ask me this question. Right, I'd look at my own life. I knew, somehow, I'd probably walk through the night for the right kind of hoof. That was a depressing thought, but an answer was not forming itself. Rinpoche noticed how this statement had affected me. Yeah, he chuckled. This is another difference between you and the thief. Rinpoche opened another bottle of Eagle beer. You know, he continued, there are other stories like this. Paltrol is always throwing things away or leaving them along the way. Rinpoche told the story. Apparently Paltrol was presiding over a yogic encampment at one time. A number of yogis and yoginis had come to hear him teach. Nakpa Tsewang Norbu was there. He was the son of the Teton Chugyulingpa, by the way, although this makes little difference to the tale. As Paltrol was teaching, a warrior galloped up, jumped down from his horse and offered three prostrations. Maybe it was the same man as before because he had another of these silver hooves. Maybe it was the same hoof as before, I don't know. Maybe this was the same man at an earlier time. Anyhow, the warrior blurted out, Rinpoche, please save me, I have murdered people, but now I have given up my life of brigandry. He threw the silver hoof onto the grass in front of Paltrow, then leapt onto his steed and wasn't seen for dust. Rinpoche eyed me carefully at that moment, and I made my reply to his wordless request. Maybe he knew that Paltrow didn't like accepting gifts. Rinpoche ignored my comment and continued the story. Anyhow, Paltrow looked momentarily at the hoof and continued with his teaching. Nakpatsewang thought to himself, I know Paltrow. He'll probably leave that hoof in the grass where it was thrown. But when the teaching ended, Paltrow picked the hoof up and took it with him. Rinpoche topped up our glasses of beer. That's one ending of the story. Rinpoche took a drink of his beer and carefully wiped the froth from his moustaches. Another ending is that he left the hoof where it was and Nakpa Tsewang was inspired by the similarity to a story in which the Buddha and his disciples pass a piece of gold on the road and each one remarks that it is poison and best avoided. Rinpoche had that wolfish grin again. Which ending do you prefer? I like them equally. They're much of a muchness to me 
although I'm intrigued that the hoof had turned up again in relation to Tsar Paltrow. Yeah, and so? Well, if this story had preceded the first, in terms of history, then the fact that Paltrow took the hoof was obviously more interesting. Why? Rinpoche asked, but not in the old, abrupt manner. Well, because somehow the same man might have turned up with it again years later. Maybe there is some karmic connection that links people and objects sometimes. Rinpoche began to rub his neck with his right hand in the way that always reminded me of Jampalyang. Suddenly he laughed uproariously. Yeah, sometimes these things are just a mystery. Maybe you are right.